Amen. So good to sing things that are true, and it is true uh, that we have no defense on our own. We have no righteousness on our own. We only have that which comes through us through faith in Christ. And so there is not a moment, not an hour in which we don't need him. And uh, so thank you for that reminder in song. We are uh, back inside this week. Uh, It was kind of an adventure last week to get everything together when there was a lot of dust in here. Thank you to all of you who were a part of making sure this place got nice and clean. It's probably cleaner than it's been. There, there was dust that got dusted and sucked up from 28 years ago when the building was built. It's probably, we dusted in places that have never been dusted before. So, so we're good and clean in here, and, uh, and, and the floor looks great. And so good to be back in here. Thank you for all uh, your work to make that happen. And it was fun to be outside uh, last week. Uh, and... And I loved uh, the passage that we were in. I mentioned last week that last week in in Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, and remember what we learned last week. So we're in this series called Gospel-Shaped Outreach. And so we started a long time ago, uh, well not a long time ago, a few weeks back in Acts chapter 1. We've kind of been back and forth in the book of Acts, but last week we were in Ephesians 2. And the big, big idea last week was, that, that all of us, all of us, come into the world as sinners rebellious against a, a holy God. And the way Ephesians 2 put it is that we are people who follow the ways of this world. We just do what everybody else does. We're people that follow the ways of the evil one, and we're people that follow the desires of our own heart and mind. And that gets us into trouble. In fact, it says in Ephesians 2 that it makes us spiritually dead people who are children of wrath. That is, people deserving of God's wrath because of our sin. And so, so there was kind of heavy bad news to start out with last week. And then we got to the very good news of Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, where we learned that God, because He is a God of grace, mercy, and love, has provided a way for the walking dead, like us, spiritually dead children of wrath, can be made right with God and made alive in Christ by faith. It is a gift of God, not by works. You can't earn it. You can't jump through the right hoops. But the only thing you can do is trust in Jesus. And you receive that free gift of God for our salvation by faith in Christ. That's what we looked at last week. And now, this week we're kind of looking at this. Here's the big idea today. If it is that that we're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ, how does somebody who is spiritually dead, walking around in their sin, a child of wrath, how is it that they come to trust in Jesus? And today we're going to see that it takes a couple of things. It takes God's work and it takes our work. God's plan is that people who don't currently trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior that they would come to trust in in Jesus as Lord and Savior when God is at work and when we do what we're supposed to do. So, let's go ahead and take a look at that this morning. Actually, we're going to be in the book of Acts again. We're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Now, the section of Scripture that I'm going to read is long. We're going to start in verse 6 and go through verse 34. Got three different accounts all together that all tie in with one another. So if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Acts chapter 16, verse 6. I want you to, uh, hopefully you always do, um, because we, we recognize that as I read God's Word, we believe this really is the Word of God. So I've got a lot of other things I'm going to say this morning, 
But this is the Word of God, and so we need to hear it if you hear nothing else. But, but usually I'll go through it again verse by verse and explain each verse. We're not going to have time to do that today. So there will be sections of this that the only time I read it this morning will be right now. So, so be sure that you're listening in as we read God's Word together. And if you're able to, because it is God's Word, would you please stand? God's Word from Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. To God, And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. 
And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for your word. And I thank you also for your spirit. Your spirit who comes to shine a light on darkened hearts, on distracted minds. And your spirit who comes to shine a light on your word that we might understand it. Help me now as I seek to explain it, that I might communicate it clearly. And I pray that as I do that, that you would be stirring up something in the hearts of people, a work that you can do and you alone can do. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. All right. So, Acts chapter 16 is where we're at today. We started out a few weeks ago in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus was just about to ascend into heaven. He had died, he had risen from the dead, and now he's about to ascend into heaven in Acts chapter 1. And before he ascends, he tells his disciples, you got a job. Your job is to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You do that job when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you receive power. God fulfills that promise in the next chapter, chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells all those who trust in Jesus. And so now you have people filled with the Holy Spirit, given a mission by Jesus to go and make disciples, and then given a mission by Jesus to go and be his witnesses, right where they're at first, and then to spread out. And as we go through the book of Acts then, we see this happening, that, that the disciples, those who trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, those who follow him, they are faithful to go out and tell the good news to more people. And the church grows rapidly, 3,000 in one day, that first day. The church grows rapidly as the gospel message goes out. And as the gospel message goes out, sometimes it goes out just right there in Jerusalem, and then they begin to spread. And they have to spread even further when persecution comes. And persecution forces them to spread the gospel in places and to people that they hadn't planned on initially, perhaps. And so they go and they spread the gospel, and churches start popping up all over as more and more people, God is at work in their hearts, they trust in Jesus as Savior when the gospel is faithfully proclaimed. So we see that happening all throughout the book of Acts. And there's persecution, like I mentioned, and one of the people doing the persecution is this guy named Saul. He hates Christians. And he wants to see the work that they're doing come to an end. And so he's persecuting Christians. They even put one man, Stephen, to death by throwing rocks at him until he dies. That's in chapter 7. But in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, Saul meets Jesus. And Jesus converts Saul. His heart is changed. His eyes are blinded. And within, within a matter of days, he can see again, and he's seeing things in a way that he's never seen things before. He now trusts in Jesus. The one whom he was persecuting is the one in whom he now trusts. And he goes out, and he sees it as his mission to do exactly what Jesus told the people who follow him to do, and that is to go and proclaim the gospel, that more and more people might hear it and trust in Jesus. 
And now we get to, and he, he takes other people along with him. So this is now, in Acts chapter 16, he's about to go on his second missionary journey. And as he's about to leave on this second missionary journey, we find in, in verse 6, and we're not going to go back and read each of those, but you heard me read in verse 6 that the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is preventing him from proclaiming the gospel in one region. It's like he doesn't want him to go there. He closes the door on ministry in that region. But then he gets this vision, and in, in verse 9 he has this vision where a man from Macedonia, and Macedonia was a, uh, a district in Greece. So this is the first time we, that we know of that the gospel is going to be spread to the continent of Europe, right? And so, so Paul sees this vision and assumes it says in verse 10, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, okay? So he hears this vision. He's like, well, I guess this is what we do. What we do is we go, I've had this vision. Somebody in Macedonia needs help. Therefore, I go to Macedonia, and God wasn't very clear about what he's supposed to do, but he concludes, well, I suppose it's probably preach the gospel to them. That's what they need more than anything else. And so Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy travel together to Macedonia. It's a long journey, and so we hear about the journey first in chapter 11. Verses 11 and 12 tell of their journey, and, and without a map, maybe, uh, and maybe you got a map of this area stuck in your head, uh, but probably not. They're, they're traveling across the sea. They're going from modern-day Turkey to modern-day Greece, okay? That's where they're headed. And this journey, uh, I'm sure, takes them some time, but they know what their job is. It's time to go, and it's time to get to work. And their work is preaching the gospel. And so in verse 13, we read this. Verse 13 says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, so Philippi is far from Jerusalem. And, and, and assuming most of the time when Paul went to a city, he went to preach in a synagogue. The fact that, there's, that, the, that he's not going to a synagogue here probably means there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi, which probably means there weren't very many Jewish people at all living here. And, and actually, the ones gathered together here is a group of women, and he knows that, I don't know how he knows, but he, he guesses whatever, supposes that they're gathered together for prayer on the Sabbath day, and he finds them down by the river. And so he goes, and, and again, now, now he didn't have a vision that said, go down by the river. He didn't have a vision that says, now sit and talk with them about Jesus. The only thing his vision was about was to go to Macedonia. But he concludes, well, if I'm going to Macedonia, I'm going to preach the gospel. And if I'm going to preach the gospel, I've got to find some people to preach the gospel to. And I bet some people that have a, some concept of God will be hanging out, praying together on the Sabbath day. So he goes out to find them. And going out to find them, he comes across this group of women. Now, quick point of application. The, the first point, by the way, I just called obedient servants proclaim the gospel. Okay? Obedient servants proclaim the gospel. That's what we see Paul and his companions doing here. Quick point of application here. Um, a lot of times we, kinda, we expect that God's going to give us like this, this extra special nudge that tells us we need to go share the gospel with this person. Right? We, we expect that, that, well, I'm just waiting for God to open that door. What I love about what Paul did here is he didn't wait for God to open the door. God seemed to tell him, don't go here, don't go here, but go here. But then after that, 
He was just making the call. Well, I suppose I'm concluding that God called me here to preach the gospel. And I suppose that there would be some people here. And so I suppose that my job is to go and preach the gospel. He wasn't waiting, kind of using God as an excuse, kind of. Like, well, God just didn't give me the nudge from the Holy Spirit to go share the gospel with this person yet. We don't always need to wait for a nudge from the Holy Spirit to go share the gospel with somebody because God has already given us a very clear command in his word that we are to go and make disciples. We are to go and be witnesses wherever we're at, right? All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next one. Uh, Just to find a way to do that, uh, that's one thing we were talking about in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. That's, that's great when God just gives you an opportunity, when it just seems to fall in your lap. Like somebody comes up to you, Dewey was telling a story, somebody coming up to him at work and just saying, I've heard this thing in this country music song about John 3.16. What's that all about? Great opportunity. Just fell right in his lap. Opened the door wide for him. That doesn't happen all the time, but we don't wait for things like that to happen. Paul wasn't waiting for something to happen. He said, I bet I know where some people are. I'm going to go where the people are, and I'm going to tell them about Jesus. We ought to be like that. Now, the tool that I've used before uh, with some people is this, this thing called You, Me, and the Bible. Um, rather than just kind of saying something really quick to somebody, uh, if there's somebody that you have a relationship with, somebody that you want to share the gospel with, um, to, to just sit down and say, you want to just go with me uh, for get together six times and we'll go over the basics of what the Bible teaches? Um, great opportunities to, to do things like that. Um, so if you want to know how to get one, I can give you a, a couple. If you've got somebody in mind that you could, uh, you could go through it with. Just called You, Me, and the Bible. Just sitting down with people and saying, I'm assuming that part of the reason that God has put me in relationships with the people that I'm in relationships with is so that I can proclaim the gospel to them. It's not just by, by chance that I happen to be working with the people that I'm working with, that I happen to be going to school with the people that I'm going to school with, that I happen to be in the neighborhood that I live in. It is by God's design, and God's design is that his people would proclaim the gospel. So how am I going to do that? Um, that's just one tool that might be helpful. All right. So what happens? So obedient servants are proclaiming the gospel. We see that through verse 13. What's the result? When obedient servants proclaim the good news about Jesus, what happens? Look at verse 14. Next point is this. God saves, baptisms happen, and discipleship begins. That's the result. Okay, Obedient servants proclaim the gospel. God saves, baptisms happen, discipleship begins. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, One who heard us, so he kind of zooms in now. Luke, remember, is one of the people that's with Paul right now, and he's writing the book, and he's saying, okay, so we talked to this group of women, and then he zeroes in on one of them, a woman named Lydia. We got two Lydias, at least, in in the worship service here today, okay? So this is kind of about, hi, Lydia. (laughs) She's waving, that's great. And the other Lydia, you're not waving, yeah, all right, great. Okay, so so this woman named Lydia is, is one of the women in this group that hears Paul share the message of the gospel. And so, so they're sharing the message of the gospel with a woman named Lydia. And here's what we learn about her. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Now, again, if you don't have that geography in your mind, you're not recognizing probably that I didn't until I looked it up, that Thyatira is not even in the same area. Thyatira is over in Asia Minor. So she is an immigrant, um, and she's a businesswoman. We'll read that next. Look at verse 14. She is a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Okay, so we get a pretty good introduction to this woman named Lydia. 
that Lydia is an immigrant businesswoman selling purple goods, probably wealthy because of what it is that she's selling and where it is that she came from, right? So this wealthy business, probably wealthy businesswoman, living in a land that's not her own, living in the city of Philippi, having come from Thyatira in a different area. And here she is, and it says she's a worshiper of God. Okay, uh, That term is used for people that, that had some sort of introduction to the God of the Bible. So she wasn't Jewish, but she had come into contact probably in all of her business dealings with some Jewish people. And something in her was attracted to the God that they worship. So, so she believed some things that a Jewish person would believe and acted in ways that a Jewish person would act, though she was not Jewish. Okay? So she had a general concept of who God was. But according to the passage that we read last week, all of us are spiritually dead children of wrath, and we're not saved by some sort of religion. Right? We're saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. And she had not yet heard the message about Christ until this day. And she hears Paul proclaiming the message of Christ to her and the other women that are with her. And then look at the end of verse 14. It says this, The Lord opened up her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So, so this, this woman is going to be converted. We'll see that in a moment because she's going to get baptized. So she, at the beginning of that day, had a concept of who God was, believed in God, but did not worship Jesus as Lord and Savior. At the end of that day, she now knows Jesus as her Savior and worships Him as Lord. How did she get from there to there? Two things had to happen. The Lord opened up her heart, and Paul had to say something. Right? So that's what needs to happen. Outreach is God's work and ours. If people are going to move from not submitting themselves to Jesus as Lord and Savior to worshiping Jesus as Lord and Savior, God has to be at work in their hearts, and somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. Right? So we see that here pretty clearly in verse 14. Here's the result. Verse 15, it says, After she was baptized, and her household as well, Okay, so she gets baptized, and we don't know how quick this is. This is that same day or, or sometime later. Paul spent a number of days there, but in the end, she hears the gospel one day from Paul. Soon after, she gets baptized, and then after that, maybe even on the same day, all those in her household get baptized. Now, we don't know if she had children. Um, household would refer to everybody living in your house. If she was a wealthy businesswoman, she probably almost certainly had servants that lived with her. Either way, the people in her household are hearing the gospel as well, and they too must trust in Jesus because they too are getting baptized. All right, that's verse 15. And then, uh, I didn't read the rest of it, I guess. She says, if you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us, kind of saying, hey, listen, don't you guys leave yet. I'm just starting to learn all this stuff that you're teaching. I need to be discipled. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to know a lot more than I know right now. Would you stay here with us for a while and teach us? And so the first church is planted there in Philippi, probably meeting in Lydia's house. Pretty cool. All right? And then as often happens in the book of Acts, as often happens still today, good stuff starts to happen. The gospel is going out. People are trusting in Jesus. And what happens? 
opposition arises. This time in the form of a slave girl. A slave girl who is possessed by an evil spirit. I read about that. I'm not going to go back over each of these verses. But this slave girl, probably a native of that area, is possessed by an evil spirit. And she is being used by those who own her, being used for their profit and their gain. And part of the way that they make money off of her is that that she has this evil spirit of divination by which she can say some things uh, and, and, and somehow make some money in that. And so she is, she is um, messing with the mission that Paul and his companions are on. So Paul gets annoyed, greatly annoyed it says. And so he turns to her one day and commands, not even her, she, he talks to the spirit and commands the spirit in the name of Jesus to depart from her and she is delivered from this evil spirit causes a problem for her owners who now can't make any money off of her anymore, right? Because she can't use the evil power that she had to do what it was that made them money. And so they're upset with Paul and Silas and the others that are with them. So they make up some stuff about who they are, stuff that they know would get the rulers of the town mad, and they end up taking them and putting them in prison. But only after... They beat them. Did you see that in verse 22? The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, and they ordered the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He's not taking any chances, right? And so this Philippian jailer says, okay, if that's my job, I'm going to do it well. I'm going to put them in the inner prison. I'm going to lock their feet up in stocks. These guys are not getting out. And so here sit Paul and Silas. We don't know what happened to Luke and Timothy and any others that were with them. It says Paul and Silas were the ones that got beaten and thrown in prison. Now, you can imagine the pain, having had your garment stripped from you, beaten with rods, here sitting in a prison, which I'm sure the conditions weren't as good as the prisons in our day, right? So here they are. What would you be doing in that case? I had a little bit of pain before running this marathon. I had a little torn tendon in my foot, and I limped around like a little baby, right? That, that's what I do when I have pain. And here these guys are in pain, sitting in prison, and they're not despairing, and they're not whining and complaining. Was it, what does it say they're doing? Well, guess what? Once again, the same as the first point. This next point is the same as the first point. Obedient servants proclaim the gospel. It says in verse 25 this, about midnight. They're not even trying to sleep it off. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So what happens? Prison ministry. Prison ministry starts to happen. They're, they're locked up in the inner prison, feet in stocks, backs beaten by rods. Like, well, this would be a good time to sing some songs, right? This is a good time to go before God in prayer, and everybody around them is listening. Uh, and so remember, the gospel hadn't gotten to this part of the world yet, so these people probably no exposure to who Jesus is whatsoever. And here these guys are singing songs with beaten backs, locked up in prison. And then... We get to verses 26 and 27. God starts working. 
They're praying. Now God works by bringing an earthquake. And the earthquake, in verses 26 and 27, the earthquake shakes things up to the degree that, that anybody who wants to can get out, right? And, uh, and the, the jailer, who had strict orders to keep them safe, is thinking, my life is over. And so he's about to kill himself because he assumes everybody escaped when this earthquake came. And then you get to verse 28. Look at verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This guy who was just about to take his own life, I don't know if he had heard them singing or what, but he's like, no way, you're still here? And he knows that they know something that he doesn't know, and so he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Good question, and Paul's answer, here's an opportunity. Here's the one where it just fell in his lap, right? Well, that's a good question. I can tell you, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. He's not saying that by, by believing, then all of a sudden everybody in his household will now be saved. He's saying this, this message, believe in the Lord Jesus, that's a message for you, and that's a message for all your household, right? And so, so Paul shares this with him, with them, we, we, well, first with the Philippian jailer, and then it says he took them, well, actually, let's, let's hold off on that, because that's the last point. Last point is going to be once again, as obedient servants proclaim the gospel of, of Jesus, God saves, people get baptized, and this time rejoicing begins. We see that in the last two verses of the passage. So let's look at those last two verses. Last two verses say this, verse 33, And he, the jailer, took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds. Pretty cool. And he was baptized at once. So that night, he hears the gospel. He responds by trusting in Jesus and then, and then taking care of their wounds. And then they go and they baptize him at once. He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. I love reading stuff like this. I love reading the book of Acts and being reminded that we have a God who has that kind of power. A God who is faithfully at work in the hearts of people. The hearts of a diverse group of people. And He's at work in all of them. And as God is at work, God calls His servants to be at work, proclaiming the gospel. And when those two things come together, when God is at work in somebody's heart, and when God's servants faithfully and obediently go and proclaim the gospel, salvation takes place. And discipleship begins and rejoicing takes place that's the that's the pattern that we see in acts and guess what it's not something that ends with the book of acts here in philippi that was taking place and a a church that gets relatively large gets started probably by these two people maybe the slave girl was converted as well maybe even probably we don't know for sure but at the very least we've got the conversion of an immigrant businesswoman who's probably wealthy and she's converted she trusts in jesus gets the church started in her own house that's followed up by 
a Philippian jailer, a middle-class, probably, Roman government employee who now trusts in Jesus. And out of that, those small beginnings in their households, the gospel will take root in Philippi so that years later when Paul's in prison again, this time in Rome, he writes a letter called Philippians, right? To the group of people that he says, I rejoice with you for your partnership in the gospel. God is at work in Philippi. And it starts when God is at work in the hearts of just a couple people. And a, a small group of people are faithful to be obedient and go and proclaim the gospel. That's how it starts. So that's what we see in the book of Acts. And the big question is this. This kind of thing still happen. Is that just like an old Bible thing? Or does this kind of thing still happen? Is it, does God still open up people's hearts so that they can hear the gospel? Does God still do that? Yeah. Does God still work to save all sorts of different people from all sorts of different backgrounds for his glory? Yeah, he does that still too. Does God still take all those who repent of their sins and trust in him and make them his own? And do those people still go and get baptized? Yep, still doing that too. Do those who trust in Jesus see it as their duty and privilege to be discipled and to then pass on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? Yep, that's still happening too. I know it because it happens here in this church, and I'm so grateful for it. It kind of leads into what we're going to do next. Ryan Barrick is going to come up, and he's going to share the story of God's grace in his life. He's been a part of our church for less than a year now. But he'll tell you the story about how through some challenging circumstances, God got his attention and opened up his heart. So does God still do work in people's hearts? Yep. Ryan will tell you about God's work in his heart. He'll tell you about how people, how God put people in his life who were faithful to share the gospel with him. He'll tell you of how he repented his sins and trusted in Jesus, and now today we'll get to see him be baptized. And, and Ryan additionally sees it as his duty to be discipled. And so, so Ryan and I have been getting together two to four times a month for several months now so that we can do that work together. Ryan is reading the Word of God on his own. Ryan's involved in a life group. Ryan knows that as a new follower of Jesus, he needs to continue to be discipled. And today is a day of rejoicing as we see him publicly identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism. Just as Jesus was, was put to death and buried in a tomb and raised again to new life, we're going to see Ryan give us this picture of what God has already done in his heart. That the old Ryan has been put to death and that, a, that a, a new one has been, as he identifies with Christ by faith, right? That that's what's happened. That's the picture. There, there's, a, there's a new way to live and to walk. So Ryan's going to come. He's going to tell us this story. And then after that, we're going to be able to do the dedication of his little girl, Ryland, because Ryan is committed to pass on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others, starting in his own home. So Ryan, if you would just come up here, and share with us your story of God's grace in your life. Uh, just invite you all to just listen, and then we'll follow that up uh, with his baptism. So you can have a microphone. i got to turn it on quick. Good.
one of my favorite contemporary Christian music lyrics, songs. L lyric of the song is, make me broken so I can be healed. Growing up as a child, as a young adult, I was involved in various things that made me broken, including drugs, alcohol, stealing, fornication, and lying and disappointing my family. After high school, I joined the Navy to get away from this. In the Navy, I found structure, and I found myself making goals for myself and accomplishing things, and I was taken away from the bad things in my life. After four years in the Navy, I decided that I w was going to come back home and uh, didn't want to be in the military and away from family anymore, so I came back home. I thought from the structure that I learned in the Navy that I'd be able to continue on that way and continue the goals that I had and live the life that I was living, but I didn't. I fell back into the drugs and the alcohol and lying to my family and letting them down to those that have been there for me and looked up to and that I had looked up to. In the fall of 2012, I got two OWIs back to back. From this, there's many disappointments in family and friends. In the spring of 2013, I started having a relationship with my high school sweetheart. She had two kids at the time. After dating for almost a year, we bought a house together and ended up having a child together. Six months after this, six months after the child was born, she had came clean that she had been cheating on me with another person and that she was going to leave and move to Kansas City and start a life with him. This tore me apart. For the last three years, I had been living my life with her and raising her children as my own and now had this new life that she didn't ask for any of this. At this time in my life when I was going through these things, I very easily could have turned back to the drugs and the alcohol to get myself through what I thought would have helped ease the pain. But the Lord gave me a chance to start my life over and be what I wanted to be and be the father to my daughter that I needed to be. So I started coming to church with my father and stepmom. After coming to church for a couple times, Pastor Jeremy took interest in me and wanted to know no more about my story. So we started going, meeting for lunch once a week. During my, after meeting for lunch a couple times, we then started the book, The Bible and Me. After learning about the Lord and his grace and the glory that he has done and the love that he has had for us, I accepted the Lord as my Savior into my life. In doing so, finding the Lord and accepting him as my Savior, I've had many times to spread the gospel. I've spoken to many single fathers and single mothers that have been in my position and been able to lift them up and and be there in times that they have easily could turn to other things and have spread the word of the gospel and brought them to Jesus. I've had the chance to go to the state training school and spread and share my testimony with the young children there and talk to them and give them new hope in finding the Lord. After a year after a year after everything happened and Ryland's my daughter's mother left Having much praying, we finally got a judge, a court date to go see the judge. Less than 6% of fathers in Iowa 
get custody of their daughter. But after many, a lot of praying and and a lot of asking and in a hard fight, I gained custody of my daughter, which now lives with me. A lot of people turn to faith when they're going through hardships in their life. But after they get through the hardship, they forget that, that the grace and the glory that the Lord had on them during the hard times in their life. For me, I've been able to do the opposite. As my life has got back on track and I have found the glory of the Lord and the grace that he has upon me, I've been able to be so thankful for everything. And it's in the times like today that we are able to be together and celebrate this, that we are so gracious of the Lord and his glory and grace that he has for us. Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into a death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the death by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So just as my life and my past sins are being put together, I embrace a cleansing heart from the sin, death to my old life, and living and being resurrected with Christ to walk in the newness of my life. Thank you. Ryan, thank you for sharing uh, the work of, of God in your life with all the rest of us. And thank you for being a part of our body and encouraging us in all the ways that you do, not just in sharing your testimony now, uh, but in just being a part of our life in many other ways. And we look forward to what God will do in coming years. Thankful for his grace and drawing you to himself. If you want to just come on up the stairs, let me take my hand so you don't slip. Go ahead and sit right down over there. A couple of things that you did uh, confess uh, as you were sharing, but just want to want to ask and, and ask a little more formally before baptizing you, and, and that is the, this question, two of them actually. First of all, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who lived a sinless life, the life that you failed to live on your own, that, he, he deser- that, that you deserve to die, but that he, as your substitute, died in your place to pay the penalty for your sins, and that he rose from the dead, just like Scripture says. And do you trust in Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior? Then, Ryan, because of your professed faith in Jesus Christ in front of these people, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection.